What's up, everybody? So, this is by request. I don't know if this is going to go at the end of this week's show or if it's going to be a show on to itself. Then I would have to figure out a different day to do it because this week we actually have uh, three three shows in, in a way because we we're still finishing up the Best of Survivor Series countdown. Uh, this is by request. I mean... Jonathan X requested requested this, but he wasn't the only one. But it's still amazing to me how there's a dark side of the ring to it. There's so many shoot interviews on it. Um, to, to me, it just shows the power of how important this movement, or this movement, this 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 uh this move was. This not even a match, just the entire situation was. Um, so what I'm going to do. I've watched a bunch of documentaries on this shorts like like it's so many pieces I've I'm gonna put together and we're gonna start night obviously if you're listening to this you've seen the title it's the Montreal Screwdrop um I've actually never talked about this I don't think even if you go back to the why repent days um I don't think I've ever spoken about it just because it's just so much content on this already. And I think people are pretty... The only thing I didn't like about the Dark Side of the Ring one was the fact that there's Scott Hall on it. I didn't... I guess they tried to get Scott Hall in, in replacement of Triple H and Shawn Michaels because they're never going to talk about it outside of the WWE uh, banner. Um, but I didn't think that was needed. To me, that kind of made that particular episode of the Dark Side of the Ring... Uh, lose credibility before that reason um but what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna start in 1996 january of 1996 and we're gonna get to 1997 november 3rd um i do remember that time just to just to tell you why i was i remember that because I was a huge Shawn Michaels fan, huge Shawn Michaels fan, and I just started to like Bret Hart. I never liked Bret Hart. To me, Bret Hart was, he was a different kind of dislike. I disliked him because he, you know who reminds me of? He reminded me of Michael Jordan. He reminded me of Tom Brady before Tom Brady, obviously. But he reminded me of the guy, every time you used to like, I, I just need to see him lose once. You never saw it happen. And it wasn't like he was as dominant as Hogan or Warrior. That was a whole other dislike. I just didn't like them because they didn't they didn't do anything for me personally. They weren't for my demographic. You know what I'm saying? But Bret Hart was more of just that dynasty that just wouldn't die. You know? And then all of a sudden, 1997 happens, and and then I started like and started liking him. The minute I started liking him was that fateful night where he loses the steel cage match for the WWE title to the Undertaker, or excuse me, Psycho said, "This man's in the ranks." It's oh, Brett, you must be disappointed. He takes the mic, knocks Vince on his butt, and begins this curse-filled tirade that made me look. I'll never forget. I looked at my my friend that I was watching wrestling with. I said, I have to, I have to find a way to be able to rent WrestleMania 13 or order WrestleMania 13. I was immediately a Bret Hart fan then. Um, but before then, I, I just wasn't a Bret Hart guy. To me, he was he just, he's just ugh. You know, but after that, I learned to appreciate him. Um, but I need to—I think I need to see him go dark 
because he was just too good, you know, and it was just like, ugh, you know, it was like no one can beat him, but then you start seeing some just chinks in the armor. I think, I think it also helped that that year you saw Steve Austin screw him a couple times out of the belt. So you saw him lose, and you saw him get frustrated. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to drink milk and get back on the horse. Nah, man, people will get frustrated, you know. So anyways, we're going to start in 1996 in January and November 3rd. I just, I just want to give some background where my mindset was at that point in time. Because um, some people do ask these things sometimes when I'm giving background. Like, wh- what were you thinking and stuff like that. And so, anyways, let's start in January of 1996. Bret Hart is the WWE champion. And he had just won the championship the previous November from an almost year-long title reign from Big Daddy Cool Diesel in a very entertaining match. I think that is the best match they've had together. Well, going into the Royal Rumble, you have The Undertaker with the fan with the opera mask. He had broke his orbital bone in his nose, and um, and he was wearing this mask. So you get to the Royal Rumble. These two are fighting. Undertaker tombstones Bret Hart. I'm like, holy crap. Undertaker's about to win the championship, which I, wouldn't, which I didn't see coming. One, two, the ref gets pulled outside. Like, what the hell just happened? You look outside, freaking Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, completely screws the Undertaker. So the Undertaker gets up and looks over, and all you see is Kevin Nash give the middle finger to the Undertaker. And all of a sudden, I'm like, holy crap. Now, by this time, for me as a fan, I was just starting to learn how it worked in WWE. WWF. January, once you see something happen like that, all right, that match is happening at WrestleMania. So that's why I knew immediately, okay, Bret Hart's keeping his belt until WrestleMania, and it's going to be him versus Shawn, because earlier in the night, Shawn Michaels had won the, the, the Royal Rumble by super kicking his best friend out of the ring very last. By the way, that final four was Kama, a.k.a. the Godfather, the British Bulldog, and Diesel. Um, just a fun fact. So anyways, let's move on to February. February, Bret Hart defends his title against Diesel in a steel cage match. Bret Hart wins when Diesel is pulled under the cage. I mean, under the ring by the Undertaker. Shawn Michaels puts his Royal Rumble uh, win on the line, his WrestleMania match against Owen Hart. Shawn Michaels wins. It's officially set. Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. Let's get to why that steel cage match was important, though. That steel cage match was important for several reasons. One, and this is, now, mind you, this story has only been told by Kevin Nash. Um, I don't think Bret ever confirmed this, but once again, the other party is the Undertaker. He's never going to do a shoot interview outside the W. He's, he, the last, con- the new contract he signed, I think he signed for like, 50 years. I'm not even exaggerating. It's like it's in double digit years he signed. And he's already, it's 50s. I'm probably exaggerating there, but I believe it's a 20 year contract. So he's going to be on the contract until he's 70. If he makes it that long, which I don't see why he wouldn't, he's never talking on a regular shoot interview to probably confirm these things. And once again, we have to be um, honest about the tools we have. Like when they tried their shoot interview, that JBL. With legends or whatever, it wasn't a shoot interview. It was very cleaned up, you know. But Diesel said his decision to go to WCW came off of this match. So apparently in the match, Nash was supposed to power bomb 
Bret Hart, and then he's supposed to, as he's trying to, as he's about to walk out of the cage, Taker pulls him into the abyss. Bret Hart refused to take the jackknife because he said it would make him look weak. And so they're de- so they're all debating this, debating this, debating this. Supposedly, Archer comes up and says, "It's not always about you. You doing this makes our match feel even more important." But Bret Hart refused to take the jackknife powerbomb, according to Nash. That's that night where he went to Scott Hall in the shower that night or the next thing, whenever it was, and said, hey, tell Bischoff I'm in. So this moment leads to several things. Hall's already gone, right? And you would never know that because Scott Hall, it was on the WrestleMania poster. And he wasn't even on the show. (laughs) But Hall's gone already. They don't have Nash yet, though. But according to Nash, this was the moment where he said, I want to be loyal, but... Stuff like this is annoying. This to me is, if this is true, this is very um, underlying um, important. Underlying, under, uh, low-key important, as they would say. Because you have someone who refusing to do something and then getting mad when someone tells them to their face, I wouldn't do that for you. So it's a bunch of refusal stuff here that leads to two departures ultimately and the changing of a guard and the changing of a culture of a company. Let's get to WrestleMania. So Bret Hart was already scheduled to take time off because he was going to go into filming a show. So he thought that that was going to be his retirement plan. Um, He would part-time wrestle, but he would have this show. So... uh, WrestleMania 12 is an Iron Man match. I like the match. I know people say it was boring. To me, all Iron Man, all Iron Man, Man matches are boring. All Iron Man matches are boring. I don't care what anyone says. There's a part in them that is boring. When you're talking about two guys wrestling for an hour, it just is what it is. Right? And so, there's going to be down periods. Um, I don't think this is one of their greatest matches. I do appreciate the psychology of it because I do think this is the only Iron Man match in WWE history where there wasn't a winner in the, after the hour. Or you know, so they have a match. Shawn Michaels uh, wins in overtime, one fall to none. According to Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, whenever Bret Hart's made accusations to Shawn Michaels' face, Shawn Michaels said, "Look here, I don't remember, but if you said I did it, I did it." So he's he's giving he's giving full range for people to 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 destroy his character because he feels like he had already destroyed it back then anyway. So he's like, if I said that to you, then you go for it. I don't care. Blah blah blah. So let's just say this happened. According to Brett, Sean told Earl Hebner, who was refereeing that match, tell Bret Hart to get the f out the ring. This is my moment. Once again, now Bret Hart leaves. Enough. Now, according to Brett, um, and I believe Jim Ross also said this too, the point, the plan was for Bret Hart to come back at WrestleMania 13, and the original WrestleMania 13 match was supposed to be Shawn Michaels Bret Hart WWE Championship. Brett goes over. Okay, that's fine. So Brett takes off about six months, nine, six months. Well, anyways, all you know is Steve Austin, who's who is hot, man. And what I mean hot, like he, even though he he would be he even though he would get hotter, he was on fire at this point. And he begins calling out Bret Hart, 
And so they bring Bret Hart back, and Bret Hart cha- uh, accepts uh, Steve Austin's challenge for the Survivor Series. And so they end up having a match. Now we're in November of 96. Mind you, Bret Hart's gone most of the year, so there's nothing going on. But according to them, the entire plan was for it to lead back to WrestleMania 13, Shawn versus Bret. Now, a lot of things had changed for Shawn Michaels in 96, because originally, Psycho Sid was not supposed to get the WWE Championship. But when Vader and Shawn Michaels didn't work out because Shawn refused to work with them, then Vader was now taking that because Vader was supposed to get the WWE Championship. So you take Vader out of the equation now. So a bunch of a bunch of different changes. <laughs> Plus on top of that, the Ultimate Warrior came back and did Ultimate Warrior things. That's how you reinserted Psycho Sid. He ended up getting hired back with the company. So a lot of changes. So let's go to December. Uh, it's time pay-per-view. By the way, it, that's the name of the pay-per-view called It's Time. Any wrestling fan knows that's how Vader's theme song started. Vader wasn't on the show. <laughs> Just a fun fact. So, Psycho Sid is one month fresh off of defeating Shawn Michaels for the WWE Championship at Survivor Series. So, Bret Hart is now the number one contender after defeating Steve Austin. So, in the match, Shawn Michaels inadvertently, air quotes, cost Bret Hart the WWE title when he gets, you know, swung into him. Bret Hart gets swung into him. They collide. He turns around, gets hit with a powerbomb. One, two, three, it's over. By the way, Sid had some huge wins in a short period of time. He defeated Bret Hart in two singles matches. Yeah, distraction and all that stuff. But he defeated Bret Hart in two matches. He defeated Shawn Michaels. You know, like, like those are some huge wins. Um, it's just too bad he's he was never a good wrestler, but it's just too bad he has Sid tendencies. <laughs> we'll say that. Or else he would have been in WWE Hall of Fame a long time ago. Anyways, let's get to Survivor Series. Excuse me, let's get to uh, the Royal Rumble 1997. To me, I think one of the most underrated Rumbles of all time, like the Rumble match in itself. I've always enjoyed that Royal Rumble match. I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed it. It just it, it was very slow in plotting, and obviously you had the fake Diesel and fake Razor in there, which is not a highlight. <laughs> but something about it, it still feels special. I don't know why, but I love that Royal Rumble. I don't I, maybe it's something back in my childhood that I just haven't thought about yet. But anyways, um, let's hit the Royal Rumble match first. Steve Austin is absolutely. Austin comes in, he begins to absolutely dominate. Now all of a sudden, it's just Austin in the ring. He hears a hitman's music. Now those two are going at boom, 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 boom. Those two get to the final four. The final four of this one, and to me, this was something. And I've always and I've looked at, I've seen that Royal Rumble a ton of times. Here's the issue I've always had with it. You have a final four or a final five, right? Because Mankind and Terry Funk are fighting on the outside. They're eliminated, but they're distracted. They're, they're distracting the referees. So now you have Fake Diesel, a.k.a. Kane, Vader, Bret Hart, Undertaker, right? So Austin's eliminated. He gets thrown over, but no one sees him. So all of a sudden, um, Diesel eliminates... Oh, Vader eliminates Diesel. Did Undertaker and um, Vader go over the top rope? 
Bret Hart thinks he's won. Austin comes back in. The referees are now looking. Austin tosses Bret over the top rope. Austin wins. All right. Now, obviously, they were not going to put Diesel in any, fake the fake Diesel, especially in any kind of main event program. But technically, he was in the final four. But the ruling, what the rule was, though, was because they can't overrule a referee's decision. And because the referee's decision was Steve Austin won, Steve Austin technically had to be in the final four. So, anyways, that's just a nitpick of mine. But it's because I understand it and it's just so funny. Anyways, you have a special Raw Thursday where Shawn Michaels is supposed to defend. Well, let's rewind, sorry. In the main event of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, Shawn Michaels recaptures the WWE Championship from Cycle Sid. That spot that Sid had was the exact thing Vader was supposed to do. Vader was supposed to win the title in November, drop it in January. Just so you guys know. Now, it's supposed to be a special Raw Thursday where Shawn Michaels is supposed to face Psycho Sid for the WWE Championship. And I remember watching this. I remember watching this live. And Shawn Michaels comes out in a suit. And he's uh, you got Gorilla Monsoon in the ring, Mr. Man in the ring. And Shawn Michaels cuts this promo of, I've lost my smile, I need to go and find it. He had a, a knee injury, according to Shawn Michaels. And people have contested this. A lot of people think it's fake. A lot. So many people think this injury is fake. Uh, H2O break. Okay. And um, and so, whatever you think about it, it happens. He relinquishes the title. This guy's relinquished. If you look at it, he's technically relinquished every championship he's ever had at least one time. The Intercontinental Championship, the WWE Championship, and the Tag Team Championships when he was Tag Team Champions with Diesel. Anyway, another fun fact. Um, Now, all of a sudden, they already set up this Final Four pay-per-view, which was an interesting concept because it was a Final Four pay-per-view, right? Where the winner was originally supposed to get the shot at WrestleMania, which is how they were going to put Bret Hart in the title match at WrestleMania. Well, now that match is for the WWE Championship. So now you have Van Vader, Big Van Vader, The Undertaker, Bret Hart, and Steve Austin. But what makes this unique is that it's not a typical field four-way match. You can be eliminated by three ways. Over the top rope, pinfall, submission. So now, and by the way, all of them got eliminated by over the top rope. <laughs> Vader was about to do a Vader bomb. Undertaker got up, low blowed him. He goes over the top rope. He's eliminated. Austin gets thrown over the top rope by the Undertaker. As soon as Undertaker turns around, Bret Hart clotheslines him over the top rope. Bret Hart is a four-time WWE champion. We go on to the next night. Now, uh, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. Now the decision is completely made to go with Austin Bret Hart submission match at WrestleMania, while The Undertaker will then face Psycho Sid in the main event for the WWE Championship. Now it's been decided, or whatever. Now everything has changed since Shawn Michaels won't be at WrestleMania to do a job. So next, now we have to find a way to get the belt back on the Sid. So now Sid, who at the time, remember, 
there was automatic rematch clauses. The very next night, Sid gets a championship match against Bret Hart. So Bret Hart has Sid in the sharpshooter. The referee's down looking at Sid. Do you give up? Do you give up? Steve Austin comes out, nails Austin, nails Bret Hart in the head with a steel chair. Sid Powerbomb, one, two, three. Sid is now a two-time champion and about to main event WrestleMania. So now that leads to that fateful night I was talking about. Bret Hart gets his automatic rematch clause one week before the debt before WrestleMania. So now things can change. That submission match can now be a WWE Championship match, and Sid versus Undertaker is just a match. Which, if we're being honest, who wants to see that? <laughs> so they have a hell of a steel cage match. I remember watching this too because I remember like I remember. This was one of the best go-home shows of all time. Because I remember vividly saying to myself, what the hell is going on? Why is it so awesome? And why do I need more wrestling in my life? So they have a steel cage match. There's so much interference in it. Austin's trying to help Brett win because he wants to get shot at the belt. You know, while the Undertaker now, he doesn't want to lose his title match. So he's like, cool, so Undertaker completely screws Brett. So Brett's about to walk out of this. He's about to walk out of the cage. He throws his hands up in victory. Undertaker takes the cage door. Boom. Throws it in his face. Sid climbs down the other end. And they win. And, and Sid wins. Well, technically, they both won, right? So Austin. So then Brett does the infamous cursing promo. And then Austin gets on the, on, the, on the big Titan Tron and says, you just suck, Brett. You just suck, blah, blah, blah. A whole melee breaks out. The Undertaker's fighting Sid. Austin's out fighting Brett. Shawn Michaels, in street clothes, is out. And he's just doing, he, he, he's just picking up shit. You don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't attack anybody. And they go off the air. These mother, these mother, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, at WrestleMania, we all know about the classic Bret Hart match with him and Steve Austin. Undertaker wins the WWE Championship thanks to Bret Hart. Undertaker did not win that match clean. Remember, or if, or if you don't know, uh, Bret uh, Sid actually went to go beat up. Sid earlier in the night had powerbombed Bret Hart because he came out to cut a promo on Shawn Michaels who was doing guest commentary for the main event. Sid comes out, powerbombs Bret. He leaves. Bret had turned heel. Remember that double turn. Bret comes out later on. Sid sees him. Sid goes to uh, hit him, Bret Hart clocks him on the top rope. He turns around into a tombstone pile driver. One, two, three. Taker has his second WWE championship ring. Now, let's fast forward to, Ju- to June. Shawn Michaels is back in the ring. His injury, knee injury wasn't as bad as he thought. He was told by doctors, according to Shawn, he was told by doctors, like, hey, you don't have any cartilage. Like, you guys remember that scene from The Dark Knight Rises when uh, Bruce Wayne saying he's going spelunking? And the doctor's like, you don't have any cartilage here in your knee. You have nothing right here. You can't do any spelunking or whatever it was, right? Pretty much that's what happened with Sean. But all of a sudden, they said, hey, you can wrestle. You just have to be careful, blah, blah, blah. So he comes back. He comes back and wins the tag team titles from Breton and, uh, excuse me, from Davey and Owen Hart, who have now formed the New Hart Foundation with... Bret Hart, Jimmy Evil, Nyhart, and uh, Brian Pillman. So I'm Steve Austin, their tag team champions. So behind the scenes, Bret and Sean now are just feuding. Like legit, this is like they're fighting each other. Like 
not wrestling shit. They 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 hate each other. And during a, a altercation, a real life altercation, they fight each other. Brett pulls a bunch of Sean's hair out. Sean goes to the back. So this is an unsafe working environment to Jim Cornette and Bret Hart uh, to Brett. Excuse me, it's Vince McMahon and Jim Cornette. And you can find this anywhere. And actually, when I saw Jim Cornette live in, uh, I can't remember. I drove an hour and a half to see him because I knew he would have great stories. Uh, it was a part. It was some part of Georgia. It was. It was the country. Let's just say that. I can't remember where it was, but it was. A, it was a country. Anyways. Um, matter of fact, that questionnaire is actually on my YouTube channel. If you guys actually want to know, if you guys actually want to hear him talk, he actually goes on for like 40 minutes or something, and I recorded the entire thing and threw it on YouTube. Um, anyways, uh, Sean walks out. Now, apparently after he walked out, Vince suspended him for like, for like a, a month or two. Because because of, of some other stuff. Now that is that that I'm murky on, because he walks out. I guess Vince was trying to get him to come back. He wouldn't do it till Vince then suspends him. So Sean doesn't come back until the build for SummerSlam and the match is set. Bret versus Undertaker for the WWE Championship. Bret Hart loses. He can no longer challenge for the championship in North America. He can only challenge for it in Canada. So um, at that time though, these ninety seven they were going to they were going to Canada every other week though, so that that wouldn't even make that wouldn't even mattered. I, I should have pulled and I didn't even think about it now until I started talking and recording, but they don't go to Canada. Well, no one's going anywhere now because of the pandemic. But before that, even when re- wrestling was at their hottest, they didn't go to Canada all that much. Ninety seven they were in Canada at least twice a freaking month. Like for live television. I'm not talking about house shows. I'm talking about for live television, right? So, anyways, um, Brett's Hawks a loogie. And Sean, I remember watching that. And I remember the person I watched it with, his mom was like, Can he get that off his face? Because he just had it on his face. It was disgusting. Well, Sean Nails take her with a chair. And Sean Michaels had to. Uh, um, be a down the middle official or else he would have been uh gone for wwe for life so he had to count the three count reluctantly so he counts the three count brower's your new champion he's your second ever five-time wwe champion right behind hulk hogan another fun fact anyways um now here's where we get into the montreal school drop part but i wanted to give that background because this just shows you the importance of how of the Brett and Sean dynamic and how so many things had changed and how they just did you you just see their relationship from that WrestleMania twelve moment go from all right, we're at we just we just had a hell of a match, now everything's downhill from here. Now, Bret Hart is gonna renegotiate his contract. They gave him a 20-year contract. I'm going to stick with 20 years. It's front-loaded heavy. It's like $1.5 million a year. But once it gets to like the seven or eight-year mark, it then becomes more manageable. It's like $500,000. And he's more of an ambassador as he goes off into his twilight years. But it was a way to keep Brett in the company forever. By this time, WCW had sent some feelers to Brett. 
data offered him, I think it was two point million, uh, two, $2.0 million, $2 million. And then they said, and then when we turned it down, he said, no, we can go 2.5. Okay, then he, they said, no, he turned that down as well. Then they said, we'll do $3 million a year. He said no again. He took the WWE deal. Well, Vince comes back to Brett at the end of September and said, I, can, I, I, I can't do the deal. Like, what we're making right now, I just got some hard numbers in and it's not going to work. Remember this part of the story. It's very important. So he says, hey, I'm going to give you 30 days. Go back to Bischoff so you can get that old, uh, that old deal back. And I'm going to give you 30 days where it's non-tamper proof. You can, I'm going to free you. I'm going to release you with the mindset to negotiate. So Brent negotiates the deal back. He gets his $3 million a year. So here's a big problem, though. When Brett had signed his new deal two years prior, three years prior, excuse me, in his deal was... The last 60 days, he has reasonable creative control over his character. When you say reasonable, I don't know what that means, considering Hulk Hogan had creative control. I don't think there is a reasonable when you're dealing with someone having control over their character with your company. The way it was described one time was when you're dealing with a wrestling promotion, you are the... Uh, you're you're having your strings pulled by the puppet master, which is the booker. Well, Vincent Man is the booker, so he's pulling the strings. But if you have control over your string, then that can thing run things out of muck. So during that time period, uh, Bret Hart gets his deal and he signs a contract and sends it off. Remember what I told you guys to remember just a few minutes ago? Well, all of a sudden, those numbers that Vince saw weren't really the true numbers. He saw some updated numbers. He's like, well, we're doing much better than I thought. Things are actually like looking on the up. Hey, Brett, I can actually pay you that money now. Now, here's another part that I'm murky on. If he, he signed a contract, that's cool. But there wasn't a clause in that contract that says he didn't have to, like, he could have he couldn't back out. Like, he couldn't back out. Like, by that time, he wasn't working for them. He was only two week, two to three weeks away from working with, but he didn't have to work with them. Unless there was something in that contract that said, hey, he couldn't turn back. Because I remember with Abyss, Abyss had signed a contract and everything. He was going to debut on at the Royal Rumble. I can't remember the year. He was going to debut at the Royal Rumble. And he was going to have a, a long-term feud that entire year with The Undertaker. Well, he well, he gets to Florida, wherever the Royal Rumble is being held that year. And he gets cold feet. And he says, hey, I can't do this. And so we see... Said no, I'm staying with Impact. And they said that's that's fine, we understand. Cool. But he was gonna make it on the big stage. He actually had a few with the Antigua lined up. So um I don't know why Brett couldn't get out of it. No one's ever spoken about that, or if they have it, or if they have, they've edited that part of the show out. But Brett has been consistent. It was like three weeks, even though he had sent his contract in. He was he was committed, I guess. I guess they, I guess it was in the contract where he had to be committed. So, um, but I have seen contracts where like if you guys never work with each other, then it's cool. Like, hey, this person wants to back out of this deal. It's not for them. Blah blah blah. This didn't happen for whatever reason. 
So he tells Vince, no, I just, just got to go. So Vince says, all right, that's fine. I understand completely. Um, we have to find a way to get this belt off you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make Sean the WWE champion. You're going to drop it to him November 3rd, 1997. I remember this date. Not because it's, not because of the Montreal school job. It, not at all. It was so weird to have a pay-per-view that early in the year. I mean, in the month. Pay-per-views usually happen between the middle and the end of the month. And at this time, I think it started in July at Canadian Stampede. But the next four months, all their pay-per-views were like extremely early in the month. It was just really weird at that time. Also, at this time, I became a tape trader. Because my aunt had the two VCR set up. So I would literally record it and watch it. Like, I know that I literally can tell you that Iron Man match, um, move for move, commentary for commentary with Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon. I can also tell you this match, the Montreal Screwjob match. That's how much I watched it. Because if I left the room, they were like, hey, you can't have the TV and be in another room watching TV. I would be in that seat and I would watch the same thing because I was selling tapes. So I just know these these pay per views because that's how my, that's how my, that's how me of my soul. Anyways, so now Brett's committed to WCW and now they're trying to find a way to get the belt off him. Well, according to Brett, and Brett has been very consistent with this as well. And Sean just said, "Hey, if you said I did this. I did it." Let's fast forward a little. Let's let's rewind a little bit though. In New England, in in, in New England, in England, excuse me, they had a one night pay per view. The British Bulldog was your first ever European champion. I want to say he probably defended that belt twice when he won it. Because he won it in like April or March. It had to be March. Because he was he had, to, he had the tag team titles and the European titles at WrestleMania. He, and he defended it twice on pay-per-view. Or even one. I would dare say once. Because I think yeah, he defended it once against Ken Shamrock at SummerSlam. And Shamrock lost it. And that's where the famous, get out of my way, from Shamrock came in. He suplexed everybody. Um, well, anyways, um, British Bulldogs defending his European championship in Europe against Shawn Michaels. Now DX is together, all this stuff. Well, Shawn Michaels wins the match. <laughs> as much as, as big a fan as Shawn Michaels as I was, I remember, like, seeing the report and saying, wait, wait, he won in, in Europe? It was so confusing at that time. According to rumor, now once again, Jim Cornette hates Shawn Michaels, so, but he was also part of the booking committee at this time. According to Jim Cornette, uh, Bulldog was supposed to win that match. Shawn refused to lose to him. Shawn refused. He said, no, if we're, if we're wrestling in Europe, I need to win, and I need to take that championship. He won, and won the championship. Anyways. So now you have Shawn Michaels, European champion, coming up for one of the greatest matches of all time, the first ever Hell in a Cell. And by the way, the thing, another thing people want to talk about is they had announced late in that feud that the WWE Championship number one contendership would be decided in that match. A lot of people don't talk about that. A lot of people just think that Shawn Michaels was given that. No, they announced in that match or before, it was very late in the build. But it was like, hey, you guys are going to have Hell in a Cell, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, number one contender match for Survivor Series. It was announced. I remember that. So now Brett's definitely going to WCW, but he has reasonable control. So according to Brett, 
he goes to Sean and says, hey, Sean, I heard we're um, working. I just want you to know I have no problem putting you over. And according to Brett, Sean says, I appreciate you saying that, but I'll never do the same for you. So now Brett's freaking hot. And Brett ref- goes to the event and says, hey, he needs to prove to me he'll put me over first. So November 3rd, I will win the match. And then I'll come back. Mind you, he'll be off. Of his, even though his, his... And this is where Bruce Pritchard has said this, and he's doubled down on this. But Brett and other people with the company have said that technically wasn't his last night. Apparently, he had like two more days on his contract. So, like, he could have dropped it technically on Monday night. And then, like, I think Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, his contract was officially up. But that was the last night, I think... I think the way Bruce means to, and I'm not trying to defend him, whatever, but it's just me. I think sometimes when they say, hey, this was this person's last night in the company, they mean this is the last time we want them to be on TV. That makes sense. Like, to me, like, I was always, uh, even though I'm not a huge Edge fan, I was always super honored that I was there for his last official match, even though he did a house show, but it wasn't televised. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so like technically his last televised match, and then it was cool. It came full circle. I ended up seeing his return this 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 past January, because I was at the Royal Rumble. Um, but I think that's what what Bruce Pritchard means, because the thing we know is what they did with Dean Ambrose two years ago was so rare. Them keeping him on television. Obviously, they was having him lose a lot, but they were keeping him on television. And after they announced he left, that's something they did. They just don't do, and they definitely didn't do it in the late '90s. If you were leaving, they tried to get you off TV as much as possible. So situations like this and Jeff Jarrett were just so few and far between. But I think that's what Bruce Pritchard means: is hey, this was the last night in the company that we wanted him to be on television. So Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard both said this to the and. and they said, look, look here, when when Brett came to them with his idea, or to Vince with his idea of, I'm going to beat Sean, and then the next thing, I'll just give you the belt and say I can't be your champion anymore. According to both Pritchard and Cornette, they both have said this in, in sync. They both told Vince, that's the dumbest idea. That's like the, that's the equivalent of pissing in your mouth. Now, I've thought about this. Why is that? I don't know why that would be the equivalent of pissing air quotes in your mouth you guys can't see me doing that um because everyone by this time i think he knew he was going to wcw like i didn't know and i didn't know at all you know i um there was something different about the build to this match um and i have skipped over some of the, the promo I, I haven't skipped over some of the promos but like when you talk about the sunny days comment or, or the fact that there was a bunch of factions at this time, and this was Survivor Series gang rules. Um, it, it did feel different. It did feel like um, it definitely felt more personal. Like, cause I remember like listening to some of those promos, and you know, I was young, I kind of, I was kind of, I was kind of like, just that don't sound right, homie. <laughs> just something, just something sounded more aggressive. If that makes any sense, you know what I'm saying? Um. But I couldn't put my finger on it. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't in the business now. Now, I've watched enough wrestling, but also being in the business, I, I, I when I hear stuff, I'm like, ooh, that's, that's, just, that's just cruel. You know? Um, 
But that time, there was, the promos were getting getting up there, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it was different. Well, anyways. Um, now, according to Vince Russo, Jim Cornette, Bruce Pritchard, and others who have spoken on this, they felt they had meetings. And Sean was trying to convince uh, Vince, hey, man, you need to tell him to give me the belt. You know, blah, blah, blah. And um, everything was being pitched. Even Ken Shamrock was thought of to replace Shawn Michaels so that way he could get, they, he would drop the belt to Ken Shamrock. That was next because uh, they said, well, if he wins the title, we didn't have to take it immediately off him because they knew they were heading to Austin at WrestleMania 14. And even though Austin and Shamrock would have been a badass match, at that time, Ken Shamrock was a babyface. You could easily turn someone heel, but I don't. Th- at the time, Bret Hart was a heel, and there just wasn't that many heel versus heel matches that were appealing. To me, it's obviously more appealing, even though it's heel versus heel and Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, than it being heel versus heel or face Ken Shamrock. I think it just. I think you need. I think you need to see Shamrock be someone else, like a Shawn Michaels, not Bret Hart. Anyways. Um, Everything was discussed. What they can do, what they can do, what they can do. No one had anything, right? No one had any idea. Well, two people did speak up, and they changed. These two people saying what they said changed the course of wrestling, in my opinion, forever. Uh, Triple H was in a meeting with Shawn Michaels and Vince, and Triple H said, "F him, you know, f him. If he doesn't want to do, if he doesn't want to do business, we'll do business for him." And Vince apparently said, "Hey, what are we talking about here?" And Shawn Michaels said, I don't know. You, you tell me what to do, and I'll do whatever. And so Vince said, I'll get back to you guys, blah, blah, blah. So apparently Jerry Briscoe said, hey, what do you want to do? You know, because he's not going to be able to cinch up on a three count. There won't be a three count fast enough without Bret Hart knowing he's cinching up on me and I'm getting screwed. You know, and th- apparently Jerry Briscoe even said, I don't think Bret Hart's dumb enough to let him put him in a submission hold. Well... Um, and so like they just they said they they this was still in the embryonic stages they didn't know but triple h shinted to it at first then jim Cornette, this is the other person this was actually revealed this year with the dark side of the ring this was the biggest nugget that the dark side of the ring people took and i'm surprised jim Cornette ever said because even on his shoot interview with uh sean oliver he said he would never admit it even if it was him and now that i think about it that was the ultimate giveaway that he said something, but I just never put it together. That was such a great shoot interview he did with 97. But anyways, according to Jim Cornette, and Dave Meltzer has confirmed, uh, Jim Cornette said that there was a, a, an original Montreal screw job in the 1960s. Um, and by the way, even before then, WWF had did their own screw job as well, but we'll get into that in a second. Then we'll get into the main event. Um... But apparently, the, the, once again, it was a promoter, and, and someone didn't want to drop the belt. So the, I can't remember their names. It's from very old school names. You guys wouldn't know them anyway. They're definitely not how, they're more probably household names in Canada, but not here. When was that? Was the first? There was a, an original Montreal Screwjob, and because Jim Cornette is an historian of professional wrestling, he knew about it. So he presented this to Vince, and then apparently, according to Jim Cornette, Vince said, nah, that's, "That's we're not doing that. We don't do that here." Well, yes, they do, because their original screw job in the WWF was against Wendy Richter. 
they wanted her to sign a new contract. Gorilla Monsoon went to one director, said, hey, uh, you need to sign this. Wendy, Wendy said, hey, okay, cool. Let me have my lawyer look it over. They tried to give it to her before Imagine never signed it. And so, all of a sudden, mind you, Wendy Richter is one of their biggest stars. And she was the one that finally dethroned Moolah of that women's championship. Like, Moolah, anyone that's seen her, the, the number of days she had to that women's championship, it's like over 10,000 days. Like, it's so ridiculously long. Um, anyways, um, so they had freaking Moolah under a mask, and the guy fast counts her and completely screws Wendy Richter. Um, and that was the original screw job because she wouldn't sign the contract and she said, Hey, let me, Hey, let me just get my, which is the right thing to do. It's the equivalent of what ice cube did and the DOC did with NWA. Hey, sign this. You'll get your money. Yeah. But I need to see that. Let me read it. And let me understand it. Like, like, like there's some language in here that don't look right. That's what she did uh, essentially. And they screwed her. And after she got screwed, she never wrestled for, I think the next time she showed up on WWE TV was when she got in her hall of fame. But she never wrestled in WWE after that. But that was the original screw job in WWF. So Vince just kind of dismisses Jim Cornette. Now, according to Cornette, and you guys can watch this on YouTube if you don't have Vice, but it's but it's all over. Um, Vince came back to him and said that that stupid idea you had, we're gonna go with it. So Cornette now knows he's responsible. If this goes down, he's responsible for effing over. Bret Hart and so he doesn't know if it's going to happen or not and so and I see how long I'm going on the record it's 45 minutes I'm, yeah, this is going to be his own show anyways um, yeah so they're now discussing how it's going to go down and they say well we can't tell anybody but the referee has to be in on it because he's got to ring call for the belt because he, if Vince McMahon calls for the bell, that's their giveaway. But the referee has to be on it. So Bret Hart, leading to that weekend, because uh, they were in Detroit the night before. So November, November 2nd, they're in Detroit. Then November 3rd, they're in uh, Montreal. Uh, November 2nd, Bret and Earl Hebner are on a plane. And Bret upgrades Earl's flight to first class. And... Says, hey, promise me you won't screw me. And Earl says, yeah, I won't screw you. I got you. you know, they won't. No, they wouldn't. I would never do it to you. And I truly believe Earl Hebner had every intention of not screwing him. Well, before let's now fast forward to the pay per view. Before the match, apparently Vader went to um, uh, Brett and said, hey man, don't lay on your back. Don't let them. Don't let him put you in any submission holds. Nothing, because that's what they do in Japan. That's how they get belts off people that won't give the belt. Now, remember that very part, that very beginning story I told you, and the reason I told you that was for it to come back to be full circle. Remember this now. That's why it's, that's why I wanted to start at the beginning of 96, because to me, the origins of all this started in 96, when Brett refused to take a jackknife powerbomb. There's a lot of refusals out of a guy that... One, had tons of history. He's a second-generation wrestler. His family is wrestling royalty, not just in Canada, but everywhere. 
But there's a lot of refusals from this guy. So finally, when someone says to his face, yeah, I wouldn't do the same for you, he's like, oh, shit. What? Do you know who I am? But remember, he originally refused to take a power, but not lose a match. He refused to take a move from somebody else because it would make him look weak. You see the 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 the, the, the what's that saying? The 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 weight the weaves we tangle or the the webs we tangle or whatever bleep is called. Someone will email me or whatever. But all this started from that moment when he had the ego to like, no, I'm not doing. It. I'm doing this. If if all these stories are true, and I want to say everyone has their own perspective, blah blah blah. But Bret Hart's never refuted that, and, and Kevin Nash has said that in several shoot interviews. Bret's never, and we both, we all know, Bret Hart hears something, he's like, he's like 50 Cent. I call him the 50 Cent of professional wrestling. He'd be quick to be on IG, nah, that dude lying, homie. This is how it happened. He'd be quick to do that, man. So, I don't know, but whatever. But that's why I told you these stories to lead up to this. A lot of this, I'm not doing this, and mind you now, now people are like, dude, just do the job. Now he's losing like sway with people. Because they're like, look here, dude, you, you've gotten your money. You know, you're going to go get even easier dates. Yeah, you may have some jackasses to work with and bad creative, but you got $3 million a year for 150 dates. Like, dude, Bret Hart was working, all those WWE guys were working 350 days a year. So you're working 200 days less, making at least, I think, according, according to Bret, making $2 million more a year. So he's losing sway now. People just want him to... They don't want him to go, but since you are going, can you drop the belt and go in peace? But everybody's coming up to him saying, hey, man, don't. But Vader was the main one you hear. Hey, man, don't let him put, don't get on your back and don't let him put you in submission, hold, submission holds. Vader and Jerry Briscoe had the right idea. Why Brett didn't have this? He said his weakness was Earl Hebner. He said that he just didn't think Earl would do it. But before the match, Earl Hebner's going out to the ring. Jerry Briscoe grabs him. Says, hey, man. When Sean puts him in the sharpshooter, you call for the bell. Earl said, no, I'm not doing that. That's not right. Jerry said, oh, are you being loyal to Brett or are you being loyal to Vince? Vince signs your checks. Do you want a job? Yes or no? So now Earl Hebner's in a hell of a position. It's easy to say you'll, you'll put your foot down until someone says your, your life's on the line, essentially. So... Earl Hebner said he went out there knowing he was going to do, do what he had to do. So anyways, these guys, it wasn't, once again, the reason why people don't talk about this match is because it was barely a match. Like, these guys are literally, before the bell even rings, you have Shawn Michaels giving the Canadian flag the second sign and humping it. You have Bret Hart coming up. These guys have a massive brawl around. And by the way, kudos to Shawn for still going through with that plan. After he humped the Canadian flag. Dude, you jump into Lambeau Field. You do the Lambeau Leap. They're tossing beer and trying to kill you. I can only imagine trying to want you to face a flag. Um, They're going on. This, by, this is all before the bell rings. They're brawling. They're beating the hell out of each other. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they go back in the ring. Now the match starts. The match is really nothing special. It really isn't. But it was a dude. It was a uh, the anticipation was there, the the crowd was there. Can, can, can a 
Canada crowds are always so fucking great. They're they've they re, they're so important to the history of WWE in my opinion. Like they they just give that they just give that feel of this what this is what makes life fucking awesome. Um, it, it just it it was it was all it was a different feel. I remember watching it, and I remember I looked over and the guy said, "You enjoying this?" I said, "No, this is pretty fucking boring." But it's like it's just something about that I was still into it though. But the match wasn't even that great. All of a sudden, Mr. Man and them were outside, or whatever. And now you're like, "What is Vince doing here?" You know, what is he doing here? You know, Jay because Jr. and Jim Russell on the call. You know, uh, Vince was on the call for the Hell in a Cell match the month previous, but he wasn't on the call tonight. So all of a sudden, you hear, and some of you know this because if you listen to the show the past few weeks, I use this this, this this snippet for my Best of Survivor series. All you see is Sean doing the sharpshooter the wrong way. And according to Brett, Brett's laying there saying, hey, Sean, the other leg. So he's telling you, he, he's leading himself to the slaughter. He, he doesn't even know it. And Sean puts him in the sharpshooter. And Sean has him in the sharpshooter for maybe five seconds. You see, like, if you see Earl Hebner, Earl Hebner doesn't even get down to do, like, the, the do you give up? Do you get, he's literally like, hey, uh, 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 ring the bell, ring the bell. And he runs the fuck out. It was so different because it made, uh, I know some wrestling fans don't like this, but I'll use the word, I don't give a fuck. It was looking fake as fuck. Because I remember, I rewinded it a couple times, like after the show was over, and I rewinded it. And I remember, like me and my friend were looking at, it, I was like, "He's not even down asking him." Like Sean's, like, like, like even though Brett was like kind of on the side of him, he's like, uh, "Ring the bell," you know. All of a sudden, you hear the bell ring. You hear Sean like his music hits, and you see Sean like at the, the edge of the rope. He's like, "Let himself out." Brett just kind of gets up. He has his hands on his hips. He looks. He walks over, and you see him spit. As, at Vince uh, McMahon. Uh, and, 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 and I remember catching little tidbits because once again, I just knew this match because I sold so many of them because so many of the people I knew were WCW fans. So like when they heard about this, I was like, hey, dude, I, ended up, I, I was selling tapes for 10 bucks at the time. I started selling those for 20 because I was watching so much. I, I, was little, I was literally getting home from school back to back. They, they were recording overnight. Like I would get up in the middle of the night like once I would hear it pop, I'll take it out, put a new tape in. I sold those for twenty because they were selling so much. Because they were WCW, they didn't know anything. But then they heard this, like, what the fuck does that mean? But I remember catching some jewels from 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 King and uh, not King from uh, Jr. When he would say stuff like, "Man, this match took eighteen months in the making, and I bet it'll be the last time you'll ever see it." And I was like, "Hmm." And that's when I start because that whole WCW thing. That wasn't on air. That was not on air. Uh, obviously, later on DVDs, it was on air with them trashing everything and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that wasn't on air originally. But just little things Jim Ross would say, I was like, is he dead? I, mean, I remember this was like the second, this was like, uh, this was before Monday Night Raw the next day because I was watching it again. And I said, is he going to WCW? Uh, and that's when I first started thinking about it. Well, anyways. Um, so that's that's the, the Montreal school job as as extensive as I can give you guys, just from like showing the beginnings of just where this thing started. And by the way, Sean's not innocent in any of this. 
I'm I gave you guys that from Bret Hart's perspective because to me I thought that was crucial to how WCW was able to take over the wrestling wars. But not just that, but also show that so many people sympathize with Bret Hart. But Bret Hart was he 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 had an ego on him to himself, and and you have two guys like Bret won a longer run with the title. Bret had said. He felt like they were trying to take the belt off him faster than ever. Well, it was Sean's time at that in '96. It really was. And how long did you want to keep it? If you were gonna, did you want to keep it and go off and film a show, and then just keep the championship hostage? I don't think he would have wanted to. And to me, the more I hear him talk, the more, for as relentless as he is and as brutal, brutally honest as he is, sometimes I think he, I think sometimes he just, I think I think we all get caught up in this. We're so emotional. We're like, well. I wouldn't have done that, but I was hoping just to have a little more respect. You know, I think he came out to respect with him. And I think he really wants Sean to respect him. And do I think Sean, I think Sean respected him, but I think Sean didn't know how to respect him. I think Sean didn't know how to respect himself at the time. So looking for respect from him, he couldn't give that respect, if that makes sense. Um, he was constantly fighting for his spot. And I think a lot of us understand that. We all have had jobs where we're fighting for respect and the right person we want it from maybe to help us get a raise doesn't give just won't give it to us but anyways um to to me this this was a very important moment in WWE history and wrestling history but to me it's so many layers to this and not enough people talk about that moment where it's like oh a second you drove one talent away then you wanted to keep the belt, but then you were going off to because you were you were going to do your retirement plan, but then that didn't work out. So then you had to come back to wrestling. And then Shawn Michaels has his own personal problems, so now all of a sudden he's giving the belt up. He's, according to some people, feigning a knee injury. You know, then he comes back, and now someone now the person you respect the most, Vincent Man, tells you, "Hey, um, I can pay you. No, I can't pay you. Yeah, I can pay you. Don't sign that contract." Now it's like, well, I'm on my way there now, and now you're not excited because you're kind of just like, whatever, dude. I, I, let me just get my money and, you know, go on my twilight years. I get it. I, I do. You know, there's so many layers to it. I don't think there's just one person that's at fault. I do think Vince, uh, I think Vince had to do it. I think Vince had to do it. When Brett refused to um, drop the belt, I think he had to do it. I do. Um, I know some people think it's BS. Um, I think he had to. Just, just me, once again. I'm going off the fact that everything I share with you today is true from all parties involved, right? Including Brett, including Kevin Nash. I just think he just, I think he had to. Um, especially if it's true, and Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard have said this, especially if it's true that they said, hey, let's make the match in Montreal non-title. Then let's go Monday night, you lose the belt to Shamrock. And supposedly turn that down as well. Sounds like he just wanted to give the. Sounds like he. I don't think he was going to take it to WCW. I do think. Uh, and, and I think Bruce Pritchard said this. He's full of crap when he said this. I don't think Bret Hart would have ever disrespected WrestleMania's company or championship like that. I think that's complete BS. And I don't know Bret. I never met him before. I don't believe he would have done that, though. However, all right, we're going to do a hodgepodge. You're not losing the belt to Shawn Michaels, but then Monday night. You're gonna then lose a belt to Ken Shamrock. No, I'm good. All right, now you now now we gotta fuck you over. Now we have to. We've given you all these chances in the world. Now you now we gotta fuck you over. But at the same time, here's what Vincent Man's wrong, and I'm gonna wrap it up here. You you didn't think that you didn't think about this before 
you didn't think about any of this before you said to free him up to negotiate? You didn't think about taking the bell off him then? Instead of booking him in a terrible match with the Patriot at October's pay-per-view, hey, why not make, and I get it, Sean Michaels and, and, and um, Ertinger had to wrap up their match at, at Hell in a Cell. Why not have Ken Shamrock wrestle him at, in October when he's freed up to negotiate and say, hey, Brett, you're losing the match tonight because if you do get a contract, you can just go. You know what I'm saying? And we can have you lose on your last match in Montreal to Ken Shamrock. So double down on that. You didn't think of that? If everything was really thought of, why wasn't that thought of? So he's just as wrong in that regard. But if it's true what they said, like I said, Jim Cornette said this and Bruce Pritchard. So I know some people see Bruce Pritchard as an apologist. So let's take him out of it. Bam. Jim Cornette doesn't give a fuck about what anybody says. But Cornette said the same exact story. He said, hey, we're going to give the belt to Shamrock. You have a hodgepodge of Sean. So that way the Montreal fans can see you guys fighting. They'll see you kick his ass. And you and the Hart Foundation will stand tall. And then the next night you'll come out and be cocky as hell. And then Shamrock will challenge you. He said no. It had to happen, man. It had to. If that's true, that had to happen. So, anyways, it is two in the morning, and I'm on, I'm doing a show. We went an hour. Yeah, this is gonna be probably a show into itself. But that's the the most detailed history I I thought I should give you guys. Not just like the the, the sunny days promo. Those those things have been tossed into the ground. But to me, when I put pieces together of it, to me, I think there's other crucial elements that I've talked about that just don't get talked about enough. F all the things, all these things are true, you know. I mean, just because Kevin Nash gives an entertaining um, shoot doesn't mean he's necessarily telling the truth. But at the same time, I don't see why he has a reason to lie, you know. And like I said, a lot of these things that he says matches up with, uh, as far as like before screw job, a lot, a lot of things he says just matches up with what other people have confirmed as well. And then Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard have kind of said the same things. They said different parts of the screw job, but as far as like. The main points that we shared today, it's the same. So, anyways, man, that's the show. This is probably going to be a show unto itself. I'll, I'll see how the other show pans out. And if this week's show pans out to where it's, like, not as long as last week's show was, then I'll just kind of paste these together. But we'll see. Anyways, hope you enjoyed the extra content. The Montreal Screwjob, we're out.